Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you please watch over us. I ask you please help us through this service today. I ask that you watch over each and every one of the people on our sick list and each of every person in this building. I ask that we can have a pleasing service in your sight. Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Lily of the Valley, I have found a friend in Jesus. He's everything to me. He's the fairest of 2,000 to my soul. The lily of the valley, in him alone I see. All I need to cleanse and make me fully whole. In sorrow he's my comfort, in trouble he's my say. today and I'm especially thankful that Andorra make the trip Amen. last few times that I've had the opportunity to speak at the South Edmonton Church Andorra hasn't been with me that was mainly due to the pandemic and we're thankful that some of the CDC guidelines have been lifted and uh, we're now back in the building and be able to be together some of us not have to wear masks that is indeed uh, a blessing. I told Gary Bell that uh, it's been a while since I've preached, and so you have standing before you this morning a rusty old nail. Not just a nail, but a rusty old nail. These dirt days come by quite often now, don't they? And uh, things change a lot. As early as World War I, the U.S. military coined a term that they used to designate the launching date of a special mission. And I'm sure you will agree that the most memorable, memorable D-Day was when American troops, Canadian and British troops, landed on 
five different beachheads in Normandy, France. They called that operation and that mission Operation Overlord, the code name for the Battle of Normandy. We lost over 4,000 men on that occasion, many of them just teenagers, just boys. The average age is 26 years. We honor those men, especially this time of the year, being Memorial Day coming up. And we honor them for the sacrifice that they made and also the men and women throughout all of the wars that were fought in the name of freedom. We give them our honor and we, we remember them. Today I want to talk about another D-Day. And that is the launch date of a mission that would provide freedom and eternal life to the entire human family. That date was 33 A.D. on the day of Pentecost in the city of Jerusalem. I want to talk about the mission of the early church and the part that the Apostle Paul and others played in carrying out that mission. I want to emphasize what they were willing to forsake, what they were willing to endure, in order for you and for me to know of life in Christ Jesus today and the freedom that we enjoy in Christ. Jesus told His disciples in Acts 1 and verse 4, go into the city of Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. The Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, Acts 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, you will be filled with power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And sure enough, they go into Jerusalem and they wait for the promised Spirit. They remain in the city of Jerusalem for about 12 years preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we read that a great persecution arose against the church. And they were scattered. Scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And they went everywhere preaching the Word. We know about the conversion of a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. The apostle Peter for the first Eight chapters of the book of Acts was the prominent figure in Jerusalem along with the other apostles taking the gospel into Jerusalem to the Jews. But now it's time for the gospel to go into all the world to the Gentiles. And so we read about God raising up this man, Saul of Tarsus. Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was steeped in Judaism, didn't believe in Christianity, and he made havoc of the church of God. And he committed men and women to prison and even occasioned their deaths. And he held the coats of those who were stoning Stephen in the latter part of Acts chapter 7, if you recall. 
But God Almighty stopped him dead in his tracks on his way to Damascus with letters to receive people there and bring them back, Christians, and have them put in prison. Stopped dead in his tracks because the Lord Christ appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Jesus had been raised from the dead. Nobody else could have ever converted Saul of Tarsus. Now he becomes the great apostle Paul, and he ends up taking three missionary journeys because as they are scattered north through Samaria and Judea, a Gentile church has been established in Antioch of Syria. And that church in Antioch of Syria became a hub to take the gospel into Europe, take the gospel into Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, taking the gospel into Greece, and finally to Rome. And God raised up this man, Paul. And I want to talk about him a little bit. I want to talk about those journeys, what they endured, the men and the women that he gathered around him in order to be successful in that mission. And you recall that Paul took Barnabas and John Mark on his first missionary journey. They sailed to the island of Cyprus and they made converts there. Then they head north and go into what today is modern Turkey, what then was called Asia Minor, not the continent of Asia, but a province of Rome called Asia. And they established churches. John Mark becomes scared. I don't know why. But in a place called Perga, he turns back. He deflects and goes back to Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas go on to Antioch of Pisidia, establish a church there. They establish churches in Iconium, Derd, and Lystra. And then they return back to Antioch. That was between 45 and 48 AD for four years. For four years, on that first missionary journey, they established churches. On their second missionary journey, John Mark wanted to take Barnabas wanted to take John Mark again. Paul wouldn't have it because he deflected. And so Barnabas and John Mark go back to the island of Cyprus. You remember the story. Paul takes Silas and heads up through Asia Minor, goes through the Cilician Gates at Tarsus where he grew up, where he was born. This is where Saul of Tarsus was born. And that is in Tarsus of Cilicia. And then he goes to Derb and Iconium and Lystra. And he picks up a young man in Lystra by the name of Timothy. On his first missionary journey, Timothy was probably converted on that journey. He was only 15 or 16 years of age. And now he's in his early 20s. And Paul takes Timothy with him. Now you have Paul, Silas, and Timothy. They head for Troas, which is close to the Aegean Sea, just across from Macedonia, which was northern Greece. And in Troas, in the book of Acts, we pick up the we passages. What does that tell you? Luke lived in Troas. History tells us that this physician, this great doctor, who later becomes a great historian and evangelist, decides to leave a lucrative career as a doctor 
and spend the next 17 years with the Apostle Paul facing all kinds of trials and is with him when Paul was beheaded in 68 AD. Dr. Luke. And they crossed the Aegean Sea, these four men. And they established churches in Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. Paul leaves those three men, Timothy, Silas, and Luke, in those churches, and he goes by himself down to Athens, Greece, and preaches. And then he goes over to Corinth and establishes the church in Corinth. And from there, after hearing about the church and how it was doing in Thessalonica, writes his first two letters, First and Second Thessalonians. And he sends them back because Timothy has paid a visit, sends those letters back with Timothy. His first two letters, First and Second Thessalonians in your Bible. I'm going to give you all 13 of them. And why you have them. And where they were written. And by whom they were written. And so that ends the second journey. Paul goes from there to Ephesus with Aquila and Priscilla. Leaves them there. Establishes the church in Ephesus. And then heads back to the hub. Antioch of Syria. And then they start their third missionary journey in 54 AD through 58 AD. And this time, the Apostle Paul heads straight to Ephesus. And it's from Ephesus that he works with the church in Corinth across the Aegean Sea. In Ephesus, you recall that he has a school of Tyrannus. Now the fire of the Ephesians where they burned about $15,000 worth of book, pagan books, black art and magic and superstition because they were converted to Jesus Christ. Paul has all kinds of trouble there. And then he writes a letter to the Corinthians because they want to know some things about how to live their, their daily lives. So he writes 1 Corinthians. He ends up writing another letter that we don't have because he paid them a visit. He heard of this fellow that was causing trouble in the church. Not the immoral man of 1 Corinthians 5, but one individual who was stirring up division, causing all kinds of faction in the church. Paul pays a visit, and things got so out of control, it was a disaster. And he returns to Ephesus, to Ephesus humiliated and angry. And writes a letter that we don't have. He calls it a severe and painful letter. And we learn about that in 2 Corinthians. So he sends that letter by Titus. And he begins to wonder how they're doing. How they have received that hard letter that he had written. And he was waiting on Titus. And he was so anxious about it. Worrying about the church in Corinth. That he heads up north. Goes to Troas and couldn't even preach because he was so concerned about the church in Corinth. Still looking for Titus. Gets on a ship. Heads over into Macedonia and ends up either in Philippi or Thessalonica where Titus shows up and gives a report of the church in Corinth. And that's when Paul writes 2 Corinthians. Paved the way for his third visit. And that he does. He goes down to Corinth. And he, while he's there, he writes the book of Romans. I hope you're following me in this. I started to have a map where you could 
kind of see where we're headed with this. But he writes Romans and Galatians. So he's written his first six letters. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Corinthians. And then Romans and Galatians. He's got seven more letters to write. And on his third missionary journey, when he goes in chains to Rome, and he's in a prison house in the city of Rome, not knowing whether he's going to live or die, he sits down and he writes Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians and Philippi and sends those to the churches. He gets out of prison for a short period of time and writes 1 Timothy and Titus. And then he goes back into prison where he will stay until he's beheaded. And that's where he writes his last letter, 2 Timothy. Writes 2 Timothy, his last letter. And if you want to hear the words of a dying man and what's on the heart of a dying man, read 2 Timothy 4 and see what's important to a dying Christian man who has spent his entire life preaching the gospel of Christ. He talks about people. What's important to Paul? People. It's the salvation of people's souls. There's no other man like Paul in the New Testament. There are very few Apostle Pauls in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, there's only one. There's only one man who had the qualities, who had the characteristics to be the evangelist to the whole world. The Apostle to the Gentiles. Here was a man who took the stones and the whips and the slaps and the insults and even the ostracizing from his own kinsmen. Here was the man to whom Jesus said on behalf of the world's lost people, will you get out there and live with them and speak with them and suffer with them and die with them? And Paul said, yes, sir, I'll do it. I'm telling you, you couldn't bribe people to live the way Paul lived. You couldn't pay them to live the way Paul lived his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 23, Paul said, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been in danger from rivers and bandits and fellow Jews, from Gentiles, false believers. I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger. I've known thirst. And I've often gone without food. I've been cold. I've been naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the concern for all the churches. Again, you couldn't pay someone to live the way he lived. Paul went far beyond what could rightfully be expected of him. But did Paul do all these things alone? Did he endure all of this alone? No, he gathered around him a group of mighty men and women who were incredible servants of the Lord. Some of them were household names such as Barnabas and John Mark, the ones we've mentioned, Timothy and Luke and Titus. But he also gathered around him people whose names are not household names. We might call the other group the A-team, the first team, but this next group 
would have to be the B team or the second team. And you know what I mean. We're all equals. But just the same. How many, how many sermons have you heard preached about Sosthenes? Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus and Tychicus, Trophimus and Onesimus and Aristarchus and Archippus and Epaphras, Aquila and Priscilla. How many sermons have you heard preached about them? And yet they were incredible people because they were the ones that considered by Paul to be his mighty co-workers and co-laborers who supported him and comforted him and assisted him in carrying the gospel into the known world. Occasionally you and I need to be reminded of the sacrifices that were made by our brethren in ancient days gone by. Just as we remember the ones who died for us on the battlefield that we might have life. We need to remember these people because they gave their lives. And we need to ask ourselves, what are we doing besides attending church? What about our passion? What about our mission? Because the mission hasn't changed and the message hasn't changed. Paul said of this household of Stephanus in 1 Corinthians 15, 16-15, first converts of Corinth, they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. And I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, they supplied what was lacking from you. They have refreshed my spirit. They have comforted me. Such men deserve recognition. How would you like to go down on the books of history as one who comforted the Apostle Paul? You know, if I can just have my name on the roster, on the Lamb's book of life. Colossians 4 and verse 7, Paul speaks of Tychicus. Who in the world is Tychicus? He was Paul's postman. He was Paul's letter carrier. And Paul said, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Paul's in prison. He sends a letter back to the church in Colossae. And Tychicus, his letter carrier, carrier is going to take it. I mean, every time Paul had a letter written and was ready to send it to a church, you know who was there with his hand up, ready to go? Tychicus. What does Paul say about him? He said, he is a dear brother. He is a fellow minister, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. In regard to Tychicus' relationship with the church, he was a Dear brother, he was a well-loved brother. In regard to his relationship to God, he was a faithful servant. In regard to his relationship to Paul, Paul said he's my fellow servant in the Lord. And that word fellow means equal. So how did Paul consider Tychicus? Did he feel that he was superior to him? No, he looked upon him as his equal my fellow servant in the Lord. And he's going to come with Onesimus. He's coming with Onesimus, our dear brother who's one of you. You remember who Onesimus is. We call him the runaway slave because in the church in Colossae there was a master by the name of Philemon who had a slave by the name of Onesimus. And we don't know why, but Onesimus ran away. And migrated all the way to Rome and providentially came in contact with the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Paul converted him and baptized him into Christ. 
And now Onesimus is going back to Colossae with Tychicus. And Paul says, he's our faithful dear brother who is one of you. And you remember, that's, that's why you have in your New Testament the book of Philemon. Because Paul writes to Philemon, this slave's master. And you know what Paul tells Philemon? You do what is right by him. He is now your brother in Christ. Do what is right by him. And I believe that means give him his freedom. He's now your dear brother. In Colossians 4.10, Paul said, My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings. Aristarchus, a devoted friend and brother. He let Paul get in trouble. Anytime Paul was in trouble, Aristarchus was there, ready to stand in the way. In fact, in Acts 19, when Paul was in trouble with a mob and was about to be killed, you know who some way gets in between Paul and the mob and stands in the way? Aristarchus. And they end up arresting this man instead of the Apostle Paul. You have a friend like that? Do we all need that kind of a friend? A devoted friend? Who will stand in the way for you? In Acts 19.29, we read that that happened. In Acts 27.2, when Paul was about to board a ship to go to Rome, and he stands there in chains, do you know who stands there in chains with him? Aristarchus. Aristarchus, Paul's devoted friend. And then we read about John Mark in Colossians 4 and verse 9. A recovered friend. He deflected, but he comes back strong. In verse 12 of Colossians 4, we read about Epaphras. He's one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He's always wrestling in prayer for you that you might stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. It's not the work of a gospel preacher to scare people. The work of a gospel preacher is outlined right here. and That is to so teach and preach and live your life that brethren might stand firm in the will of God and be matured and fully assured. He established the church in Colossae. We've already mentioned our dear friend Luke, the beloved physician. And Paul mentions him in Colossians 4 verse 14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and but then he mentions Demas. You remember Demas? They send greetings. That was, in Paul's, that's, that was in Paul's first imprisonment. But here's the sad thing about Demas. In Paul's second imprisonment, he writes 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, listen to what he says about Demas. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. I hope and pray there's none in this audience this morning who has, has forsaken God and forsaken God's people and betrayed God and betrayed God's people by deflecting because of loving this present world. It happens again and again, doesn't it? It happens in our families. It happens in the church with our friends. And it's a sad thing. And what we need to do is call it as it is. It's a betrayal. It is a betrayal to God and to each other when we drift away and become unfaithful. And Paul said, only Luke is with me. 
right down to the very end, only Lucas would be here. What was their mission? Their mission was to make opportunity for the world to know the truth, come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. And their mission was to establish churches that would become a light to the world. Their mission was to keep God's story alive, to bring redemption and reconciliation and renewal to a lost and dying world. What was their message? Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everywhere these men went, the center and focal point of their message was Jesus Christ. The center of their message was the kingdom of God and the new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Jesus said, I'm creating all things new. And that points back to the first creation. Because when they talked about the eternal purposes of God, what, what is the eternal purpose of God? To bring about a new creation. The old creation failed him. Because of man's rebellion and sinfulness. God placed a curse upon the world. And then God raised up the nation of Israel, raised up His Son, Jesus Christ, and raised up the church in order to reverse that curse and bring about a new creation, a new heaven, and a new earth of which you and I are a part. Now what kind of effect should these servants of God have on us? And I'm about through, and you're doing well. What kind of effect should these servants that we've been reading about have on you and have on me? They should create in us a healthy discontentment. They should cause us not to be satisfied with less than our best. And it should make us realize that we're on the same team. We serve the same purpose. We have the same mission, the same message. We ought to have the same passion. We ought to have the same love for God and love for one another the people of God. And that raises a question. Can young people today be deeply convicted and deeply serious about their relationship with the Lord as Timothy was? Again, Timothy was just a teenager. In his early 20s when he left home and traveled with Paul all of his life became Paul's representative to all the churches, on all the journeys. He became Paul, Paul's main man, you might say. Because when Paul couldn't go, you know who he sent? He sent this young man, Timothy. That should challenge us. Do our young people today have to be consumed and overwhelmed by our culture that is ungodly and secular? Do we have to be? No, and we shouldn't be. We have something far greater. We have a higher road to travel when we have a mission to accomplish. Just as those men landed on the beaches of Normandy June the 6th, 1944, they had a mission. You and I have a mission. And we're in a battle. A battle for the souls of people. And he didn't reach that point in his life alone, Timothy didn't. He had people to encourage him and train him and help him. He had a mother and a grandmother before him. His grandmother Lois, his mother Eunice, 
Paul said, I know that the faith that's in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I persuaded it's in you also. He was a fortunate lad in that he had a mother and a grandmother before him who had faith in God and passed it along to Timothy. And then Timothy had that time with Paul and he was equipped. Thank God. Do not neglect your gift, Paul said. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save yourself and those who hear you. So we need to take our mission seriously. We need to take our mission and our Father's business seriously. And we need to remember the words of Paul at Miletus to the elders. When he met with them on the shores of the GNC, knowing he'd never see them again, they fell on his neck, hugged him, and kissed him. And Paul told them, I commend you to God. I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. If you're here today and you have a need for prayer, we'll pray with you and for you. And if you're here today and outside of Jesus and need to be baptized into Christ Jesus, we'll assist you in that while together we stand and while we sing.
We now come to the time in our service whenever we, we gather around this table. And really, you know, the, the sermon this morning, it reminded me that, that today is a day that we, we join in with that great cloud of witnesses that the Bible talks about. Because that cloud of witnesses that has, have lived their life and that we've, we've learned a, a lot about this, this morning and, and heard a lot about this morning, we see that one of the things that they did is on, on a weekly basis, they would, they would remember the Lord's sacrifice and what He did uh, for us all on the cross. And at this time, we, we gather around this table and we are, we are reminded of that sacrifice. And we have these elements of the bread and the and the uh, the juice that represents the body and the blood of Jesus. If you will, would you bow with me as we give thanks for the bread. Father, we come before your throne and we thank you for these blessings and we thank you for the examples of people who have come before us. And, and Father, we, we ask now that you bless this bread that represents your son's body that, uh, that he gave as a sacrifice for us. Father, we ask that you that you bless this, and that you bless us as we take of it. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. bow with me now as we give thanks for the cup. Father, we once again come before your throne and we thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus has given for us on the cross. And Father, we ask that you bless this, this cup and its contents and what it represents is that, that blood that Jesus shed for us on the cross, that, that blood with which we can be washed white as snow within it. We thank you so much and we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. The offering box will uh, will be out there as as you uh, exit the auditorium, uh, and uh, if we have any who are listening over the radio. There will be a basket, and you can drive underneath the awning, and uh, I will meet you out there in just a moment. Would you bow with me uh, once again as we uh, give thanks for that offering? Father, we come before your throne again, and we, we thank you for the great number of blessings that you've given to us. We thank you for, for life itself, and we thank you for the sacrifice of your son. And Father, we, we thank you for all the material blessings that you've given to us, and we pray that that as we give back a portion of those things back to you, that you will, that you will bless this offering and that you will help us to use it in a way that will, will further your kingdom, further your cause, and glorify your name. Father, we also pray that you will be with us as we go our separate ways at this time and that you will allow us to, to let our light shine and help us to reflect you better than what we have in times past and that we will continue to, to improve and continue to grow closer to you and closer to one another and to let people around us know that, uh, that you are our God and that we serve you. And Father, help us always to turn to you in the good times and in the not-so-good times. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.